So we, we spend a lot of time just knowing that short-term rentals on our market are a positive negative feedback loop and everything's review based. We purchase data as well to look at everything that we could that people had made comments about or said anything about to their super host reviews. And so we use data metrics to do everything from the 5.0 millimeter LVP flooring, the 12-inch Zenus memory foam mattresses, the LED daylight bulbs, the color of the cabinets, the countertops, everything. We use data as much as we could that had been a proven performer in somebody else's listing that was a top performing listing. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, Before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, uh, working dad with, uh, a son at home. This is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the, the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest and his wife have been investing in real estate for over a decade now. They got their start in long-term single-family home investing, but have since transitioned into short-term rentals, including an awesome house hack of their own on the beach. Clint Harris, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thanks, man. I am excited to be here. I'm a big fan of what y'all are doing, and uh, yeah, man, I'm really excited to be a part of it. Oh, we're excited to have you as well. I I have wanted to have you on for a, little, a while since I saw a post of yours on uh, Bigger Pockets, so I'm glad to finally get you. So, thanks, man. Okay, so uh, you started investing over a decade ago with a house hack of a duplex in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, from there, you transitioned into building a portfolio of single family rentals that grew to nine. But you didn't keep that build. You didn't keep building that portfolio. Can you talk to us about why? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Exactly like you said, my first property I bought was 2009, right after the 2008 crash, you could get properties for really cheap. So I bought a duplex, lived in one half, rented out the other. I was early on in a medical sales career and I was like, this is amazing. I'm not, I'm living for free. I'm a genius. Uh, This is before podcasts or anything else. I, I just kind of, it fell into my lap and I got lucky. And after that, as I started to pick up rental properties, the only person I knew that knew real estate to some degree, was the agent that I was working with. And that was all I had to go on. And at the time, like he was the smartest person I knew. So that's who I was constantly bugging for information. In retrospect, we both should have done a lot of things differently. But the, what it resulted in is because there are so many foreclosures on the market, properties were so cheap. I could buy a brick home with a decent roof in a marginal area and be all in fixed up for between thirty and $35,000. And they're renting out for between $750 and $800 a month. So tremendous cash flow. And I sounded like every rookie. Like I bought my first one and I was like, okay, after property management fee, everything else, I'm going to make six grand off of this one. Once I have 10, that's $60,000 a year. Now I can buy two more a year and five more years. That's 20. I'm done. And (laughs) it's the same story that you've heard over and over. But with those I never did Section 8, but these are fairly marginal areas. In order to get the cash flow and the percentage return, I was investing in areas that, frankly, we're just never going to appreciate. I got great cash flow, great return on my money, but I had all my money locked into the deal because they were never worth enough that I could refinance or, or even get a loan for them. So I was paying cash, getting these deals, and if everybody paid on time every month, it was great. 
and you had a lot of money coming in, except it never happened. It was mm-hmm. always an eviction, always somebody in or out, always somebody late. Every time somebody moved in or out, there's a bathroom door kicked in or there's a window broken or there's appliance broken. The capital expenditures are a lot higher than I originally realized. And it one property was one or two headaches. And then multiply that by seven of them. It was like, man, this is just not worth it. And so we got to the point where we just slowed down on that because we started going through property managers. I waited way too long to fire my first property manager because they weren't dealing with things the right way. And I just kept putting up with it and working with them and trying to fix it. And what I've learned over the years is that really, really good property managers don't really last long or don't stay that way for very long because if they're really good, they get really busy. And a lot of people start using them. Or if they're really successful, a lot of times they start bringing and purchasing their own properties. And that typically takes precedent over yours. And so the quality of the service goes down, the quality of the communication goes down, and things snowball. And over time, those issues just become worse and worse. So that's the way that we started out. And I fell out of love with that type of real estate and kind of started searching for something better. So what were the numbers on that first duplex that you bought so the first duplex went into foreclosure. It was an old Victorian home in a nice neighborhood in Columbia, South Carolina called Elmwood Park. I bought it for one thirty-five. It was my first house. I think I had an FHA loan on it. And then, um, yeah, I mean, so it was a 3-2 and then a 3-1. And um, so I house hacked. I always had friends living there. So it was nice. It was people I knew they took good care of the property and things like that. And I was like, man, this landlord thing is easy, (laughs) but it was people I knew. So they were taking care of my stuff and we're buddies hanging out outside of that. So I thought it was easy at the time, but, um, you know, in retrospect, it ended up, it really, really well. I, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, she bought a house in the neighborhood as well. And then when we got married, I moved in to her house. Eventually we renovated that. And then once we moved away from Columbia, one by one, we've sold those properties off just because I've discovered that nobody minds my business the way that I would mind my business. Gotcha. <laughs> so I like to be on top of it. Gotcha. And then, so it was an FHA loan, which is three and a half percent down, correct? That's right. So three and a half percent down on one thirty-five. You're looking at it probably what's uh, five grand ish. Yeah, I'm trying to. This is a while back, yeah. but yeah, that sounds about <laughs> but five to seven somewhere in that range. And I uh, did some light, small. Uh, modifications, just paint and fixing some decking and things like that. Nothing big. Gotcha. So maybe call it seven, eight grand. Yeah, probably so. Okay. I mean, next to nothing. And yeah. um, yeah, started off there. And then my wife, she was, we were young and broke at the time. Hers was a 203K FHA. So just started, that was our first, my first time ever getting a loan, ever learning about different types of loans and exploring options and different ways to finance. And it's obviously come a long way since then. But yeah, that's where it all started. Probably, yeah, probably eight, nine grand all in. Were there any other decisions that you feel were like really good in those early years or that maybe you regret highly besides, you know, obviously the, the, maybe it wasn't the best long-term situation, but anything. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, if you'd asked me that two years ago, even properties I was buying for 2009 through 2013, I think my answer would have been completely different. But the answer is obviously there's a lot that I learned, like, I flipped three houses while we were in Columbia and that first one, like you're supposed to make 30 and I made seven. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I had that first one that you realize, okay, there's holding costs and a lot that has to go into the, and, and I will never ever give up lessons like that. It was extremely valuable. I think the greatest thing that I'm grateful for now is that once we have figured out our strategy and where we're going all in and where we're getting tremendous returns, by the time we figured that out, I had, I'm not the kind of guy to like shove a whole bunch of money in the bank and sit on it for years and years. I'm going to be looking for some active investment to put that money to work. So by the time we found what we wanted to do, I had a lot of cash locked in these underperforming long-term rental properties and the market had appreciated by then. So I could unload them and have some bullets to fire. You know what I mean? So my, what I'm grateful for is not the way that those properties really perform, but it's that it's, it tied my money up long enough that I had a chance to, gain a little bit of a, an education and decide how I wanted to redeploy those assets. Yeah. You weren't able to do anything stupid. <laughs> in the meantime. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so were most of those, were any of those a burr or were you pretty much just buying them for market value right off the MLS at the time? So 
Two of them could have been a burr. I didn't know what a burr was at the time. Yeah. Um, one of the properties there, it's the only property in Columbia that I still own. I bought it for, I think it was 20, 26 or 28. I think I bought it for 28,000, put a little bit into it. It's in an area called the Avenues right across the river. Great area that since then an Amazon fulfillment center has gone in and it's really appreciated. Several years ago, it appreciated for, or, or it appraised for 75. I refinanced and I pulled 55 out. So originally I had like 33 into it all told, I think. And I, so I pulled 55 out. So that was really nice. But again, then it, that, that payment then cannibalized some of the cash flow. Sure. But again, somebody else is paying it down. So I've got an equity pay down. It's a sacrifice. You get one or the other. I pull my money out. I still own that property. And recently, just out of curiosity, I had someone run a CMA and it's worth around 105, 110. Oh, that's great. So I, I, I'm going to do something with it at some point. But for right now, I'll just let you know, the guy that's there is actually a young guy who's bought and sold some houses for me. So he's a great tenant. So we're just going to oh, let that one sit for a little bit. Nice. Yeah. He, yeah. he feels in holding and like, uh, actually he, he knows you. Yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. Sounds like yeah. you just need to have people that, you know, in yeah. your properties. <laughs> people <who> care. <laughs> so, you know, what, what, one of the things I love so much about what you did there, and it's kind of on the journey that we're on as well. You know, we, I talked to so many successful real estate investors who are, you know, doing, commercial real estate now or large multifamily or, or self-storage or whatever. And, and a lot of them, you talk to them, they go, if you knew what you knew now, is there anything you would do differently? They go, oh yeah, I'd skip the whole single family home thing. And I just go right into big, big commercial properties. But what they don't remember is, is what they learned along the way. And the fear that comes with, you know, somebody going, Hey, I'm going to sign my, my name on a loan for a million dollar commercial property. So I, I think it's wonderful, you know, if you're able to get into a market where, you know what, you're not going to get rich on that market, but you're going to learn a lot and you're going to build a little bit of equity and you're going to build more than anything, you're going to build the experience of being an investor and putting that kind of risk out there and going, okay, I'm going to, I'm getting a loan for a property, you know, and there may be months where somebody doesn't pay and, and understanding that that's going to happen and then go, yeah, it's okay. I'll figure it out. Man, I could not agree with you more. It, it is, you're exactly right. You're not going to get rich in that margin, but you know what those lessons are? Those are cheap lessons because everybody's going to make those mistakes and you can do it on a grandiose scale or you can do it on a really small piddly scale. And in retrospect, I learned the same lessons that I've watched a lot of my friends and other investors make. I just made it at a really, at the time it was a lot of money for me, but I, I made it in a way that like it didn't have long-term repercussions on my life. I put myself into some kind of bad debt. So the idea of like skipping the single families and jumping straight to multifamily or something else, like that's great. But really what I've learned now and the deals that we're doing now, it's the same lessons, like the same decisions that you're making, the analysis, the data, and the way that you're breaking down those deals and looking at everything that goes into it. It's the same on a $30,000 house as it is, you know, a $1.6 million multifamily or anything else, like the margins are still there. The lessons are still there. So like you can skip all that if you want to, but all you're doing is setting yourself up so that when you learn that lesson, it's just going to cost you more. So there are certainly parts of me that like, man, I would skip a lot of this and I'd go right to where the margins are, but I can't really feel that way because the only reason I've got to where we are is because of the knocks that we took. So I couldn't yeah. agree more with what you just said. I think in addition to to lessons, you also get, you get more confident. I think for us, that was a really great place to start. You know, we've got a lot more that's riding on, on our money. You know, we, we can lose a lot more. And so, yeah, taking that big leap not only can come with bigger repercussions, but we might not be as confident to do that. We might just not take that leap at all. So this is one that, that feels very comfortable. We know the risks. We know what could happen if if we have a problem, we have a backup plan and it's a great place to start. And then we're confident and then we can kind of share that confidence. And, and again, you know, the knowledge, all those things. But I think that the, the, just the overall, you yeah. know, that, that experience doesn't just sure. give you knowledge. It, it gives you a, a, a way to like keep moving forward and not feel like you're going to screw yourself over as much. 
Absolutely. And another thing that's really important is that think about what's changed in the last 10 years. Like because of what you guys are doing right here, there's a lot of people listening that have the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of one other person that I knew that was doing real estate. In retrospect, it wasn't that good at it. But that was the best person I know. Now I get to learn from everybody's mistakes that you guys interview or any other podcast. And then we also have access to data. So there's so much information out there now that we all come from a background of what we learned the hard way. And I think that makes us respect what other people have learned and look mm. for the opportunity to learn it from them instead of having to go through that hard time ourselves. And when it comes to real estate, like everybody wants to go fast. But it, what I've found is that slow is smooth and in the long run, smooth is fast. Right. If it's a well-built fire, it's going to burn on its own and you don't have to keep fanning those flames. You lay that foundation and build off of that. I think that you're going to go farther in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And having that help, I think that's a really good point. I mean, we've, we're taking this small step and also we have help to make sure that it goes as smoothly as, you know, it can because we're buying in a place that we don't live, sure. you know, but we have someone that's kind of mentoring us and, and helping us use some of the resources that he already has on the ground, which is fantastic and awesome. Makes a big difference for us. So, so about a year ago or so, your wife, Abby, I'd love to meet her at some point. Um, I love that. Uh, you guys bought a couple of multifamilies in Carolina Beach and set them up as short-term rentals. What do you? What did, What drew you to that market? Oh man, here we go. So, so I work in medical sales. That's my main gig. I implant pacemakers and defibrillators, and I worked in uh, for eleven years in Columbia, South Carolina. I took an opportunity to take a a promotion and took over the territory in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is a small beach community, small historic town, port city, four little beaches in proximity. Around that time that we got here, new market, we're trying to decide, okay, we want to continue to do real estate. We want to do it better than we did before. Our live and flip that we were in in Columbia, it was our forever home, quote unquote, forever home. Mm -hmm. We bought it. We did $130,000 renovation and bought all of our forever furniture. And this is where we're going to be. And then life happened, right? Like things change. And um, we were just going to have better opportunities someplace else to shake it up. And so I came home and broke that to my wife one day, like, all this that we just poured into this to make our life here, I don't think our future is here. And she just goes, okay, what, what do we got to lose? You know? And I was like, what do we got to lose? Look around. And um, she's like, ah, we can do better. I bet on us. Let's, let's, let's switch. So we sold our house to the day of owning it two years. So we didn't pay capital gains and we made a good, we just over six figures on a flip on that. So we kind of rolled in with a nest egg into a new area. When we got to Wilmington, we rented an apartment for a while just to kind of figure out where we wanted to be. And she challenged me to start listening to different real estate podcasts, which I'd never, I'd always read books before, but sporadically. So we started doing that, really educated ourselves. And we kept hearing about short-term rentals. Like I knew the concept. Um, my family has rented beach houses every summer, you know, growing up. And, you know, you flip through the book at the property management place and you call them and talk to them about it. But we started learning a little bit more and, looking at some of the beach houses that were for sale and the people would even say, Oh, great rental history, you know, $35,000 in rents last year or whatever. And I was like, Oh, huh, okay. This sounds pretty interesting. And it was about that time through listening to some of the podcasts that we discovered air DNA, um, which is a data scraping company. It's a, it scrapes the previous 365 data of short-term rentals from booking.com, Airbnb and VRBO or home away. And so that gave us the opportunity to start, running data metrics and just kind of looking at things, understanding the make metrics of the median performance in this market over the last year, what the occupancy is, the seasonality, the average daily rate. And it took a really long time for that to sink in, but we spent a couple months driving around with an iPad, just running analysis on a bunch of different properties. And then we just decided that We'd both been landlocked our whole lives. This is something we wanted to do. We wanted to try to live at the beach if we could. The beach town that we selected is called Carolina Beach. It's about 20 minutes outside of Wilmington, close proximity to the hospital. It was a great location for us. And um, a lot of beach houses are built as duplexes, side-by-sides, upstairs, downstairs. Sometimes there's multifamily. You know, it kind of goes with the territory. So we got ready and figured out what we wanted from running data metrics. And then we pulled the trigger on a beach duplex. It was 370 and it's a three bed, two bath on each half. 
and we had to do some light renovations, put in some LVP and um, paint, change some countertops and stuff like that. We put 20 into it, so we're all into it for 390 And the data metrics that we had said it should do $47,000 a year in gross rents as a median performer in our marketplace. So we, we spent a lot of time just knowing that short-term rentals on our market are a positive negative feedback loop and everything's review-based. We purchased data as well to look at everything that we could that people had made comments about or said anything about to their super host reviews. And so we used data metrics to do everything from the 5-point-millimeter LVP flooring, the 12-inch Zenus memory foam mattresses, the LED daylight bulbs, the color of the cabinets, the countertops, everything. We used data as much as we could that had been a proven performer in somebody else's listing that was a top performing listing. Mm-hmm. We hope to do 47. That's what the metrics should do. And we did 57, 57,000 in our downstairs, three bed, two bath unit. And we were like, Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is real. Now that's gross rent. So we, at the time we've reduced it now, but at the time we we're spending about 30% on cleaning fees and Airbnb fees and things like that. But Pretty soon we did the math and even over a yearly average, if you break it down monthly, uh, that unit pays our mortgage, taxes, insurance, utilities. And over a yearly average, we get paid 1400 bucks a month to live at the beach. We're two blocks off the water. That's awesome. So we're like, oh, okay, we found out what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So talk, one, I love how you how you broke that down, that you went out and you did market research because- Short-term rentals, it's very market-specific, very incredibly market-specific. And so you really want to go out and find out what's working. You know, you don't want to just pull up AirDNA and go, okay, it says we're going to make uh, $30,000 a year. Good, we're golden. Let's go. Doesn't work that way. You're exactly right. You really, really want to dig into who are the top performers, what are they doing that's working, and, and I love that. You just went out and just replicated it right down to the mattresses and the LVP and the, the LED lighting. Uh, if you got great. three or four minutes, the, uh, here's what I really think is important. There's, it, there's a lot of different opinions on this. People will say, oh, AirDNA is incredibly inaccurate. Or some people use BNB Vester, which scrapes from Realtor.com, Zillow, and Airbnb. People will be like, oh, these metrics don't make sense or they're inaccurate. And sometimes they are. But it, it's, it's gross rental projection. So if you've got a small sample size, it doesn't really make sense and work in your market. So I don't think that those data sources, and I, I don't have any affiliation. I don't care where you get your data from. But I think the important thing is that you do your due diligence and dig into your market. So I don't care where you get it from, but those data metrics are not great for picking what market you want to be in in the country. Like I don't want to look and be like, do I need to be in Seattle or here or there? I mean, it helps to look at regulation and things like that. But once you pick a market, it's really helpful for doing a deep dive into your market. And so for those two or three months, what I learned is that at the time, the occupancy at Carolina Beach is 63%. And that goes from average occupancy of 19% in the wintertime to 95% in the summertime with 63% in the wintertime. There's 1,153 active listings. And in the wintertime, that dropped to 400 listings. So that 19% occupancy was actually just of those 400 listings, 408 listings in that off season. So what that means is like, there's still a lot of people coming to the beach, but they can be really, really picky about where they stay. Mm-hmm. So you better be one of those top 10 or 15 performers. And the way that you do that is through streamlining automation, professional photos, and making sure that your systems are in place. And that's what's going to bring those people in. Because of that, that first winter between November and February, we were at 81% occupancy in our listings. And we had multiple by then compared with 19% average across the island. We yeah. also discovered by running all those analysis that there's an inverse economies of scale in our market where the one bedroom unit on average in this market is going to do around $35,000 in gross rents a year. That's a one bed, one bath. A two bed is going to do 43. A three bedroom is going to do 47, but a four bedroom is going to drop down and do 42 grand. And there's mm-hmm. a drop in profitability between four and six bedrooms because typically that's two families, right? So those one to three bedrooms where people are more nimble in the marketplace, that's Joe and his girlfriend in Raleigh being like, hey, I'm not working at the Cheesecake Factory Tuesday through Thursday. Let's run down to the beach. And we pick up a lot of those listings. So for us, the sweet spot was small multifamily properties, two to four listings, one to three bedrooms each. And that's the highest profitability per dollar that we had to invest. And we learned all that just from data and driving around with an iPad. 
It's nothing special. And you're exactly right. Every market is different. But I promise you that trends like that exist in any market that you want to analyze. I'm curious when you talk about the uh, looking at the metrics for like what's popular LVP, you know, the type of mattresses, were you just picking that up like you went to popular ones and looked at what they had? Or is that data that you can find through a service? Man, there's so many. I've looked for it so many times. At the time, we bought a report of what the top what the top listed items were. And then since then, it was top comments that people made for things like mattresses, like, oh, I love the mattresses and things like that and bring it along. But um, since then, I, I can't find that same resource anymore. So I'll be honest with you, we're still relying everything based on the data that we have from two years ago. Gotcha. But it still works. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love, um, that's great information about how that you said there's sort of an inverse revenue correlation to between one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, and then it, there's a drop off of four bedrooms because now you're talking, that's more of an on season kind of place for someone. And Absolutely. it's going to be big families that are going to be traveling the summer when the kids are out of school and things like that. And I, I heard a great strategy just this last week on another, uh, on a short-term rental podcast that I listened to. And somebody's got a, a, I think a four or five bedroom near Disney world. And one of the things that they do in the off season is they create a separate listing with, with smaller units. And then they just basically put locks on the doors and they tell people, Hey, you know, this is a four bedroom house, but you're only written two bedrooms. And it's called a micro listing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. And man, no, you're I'd exactly never, right. It's a great strategy. I'd never heard of that strategy. It was such a brilliant idea to me because in the off season, you're typically not going to be getting those big families. You're going to be getting the couples or, yeah. or a couple of couples that are, don't have kids or traveling, you know, and, uh, Anyway, well, I, then I, you don't have to clean those rooms. You're not having exactly. to do the maintenance. You can pay less for, for cleaning. I think it's the same concept when you have sort of a duplex and it's a smaller, you know, duplex a lot of times are more of the three, two or, you know, in kind of that range, smaller ones. And, you know, if you've got a big family, you could rent both if they're both mm -hmm. open at the same time. So you can still get that someone can get that family, that bigger family feel, but you have the, the more, uh, nimble, you know, listing. Exactly. Options. So what we're talking about here is occupancy, right? And there's a couple ways to do that. And number one is bandwidth and by listening across multiple platforms, VRBO, homeway, booking.com, Travelocity, Expedia, Airbnb, and trying to get out there that way. And then you're exactly right. One thing that we do is, is that we've done it in just two of our listings. Cause like I said, most of ours are smaller units, but we implement micro listings and we just tried it a couple months ago and it, it's amazing. The first time that we did it that month, over 50% of our bookings were for a two, two that became a one, one. And we picked the bedroom, whatever bedroom has the bathroom in it. So typically a master, we just put a doorknob on there with a, just a one, two, three, you know, punch lock combination and then just lock that off. And then we have two listings up at the same time. So if someone books one of them, if they booked a two bedroom, then they get in the check-in instructions. They get the message instructions on here's the code to that door. And if they book the one bedroom, it immediately blocks out the other listing. And then they just roll on with their one, one and the cleaning fee comes down and the average daily rate comes down. It's not that big of a deal because what we found is the people that book the two bedrooms or even the three bedrooms typically do it a little bit earlier. Whereas a lot of the one bedrooms are very last minute. We weren't going to book that anyway. Right. So yeah. we would rather have make a little bit. The cleaners stay busy because the cleaning fee is the same typically year round. It's just a little bit less, but they've got one less bedroom, one less set of laundry and one less bathroom. So you're exactly right. It's, it's a great solution to that occupancy issue. Does Airbnb do the automatic micro listing? Sorry. If this so is they don't, we have, you have to use some kind of management software and it's okay. the same thing. Once you for bandwidth and you're getting across multiple portals, you have to have some level of management software. It's yeah. extremely important, but it links everything in real time. So as soon as somebody clicks on one, immediately the other yeah. one gets blocked out as there's well. There's a lot of people who don't use those, I think, because we've had oh, a couple of times. Oh, there's a tremendous amount. <laughs> I, I feel like people that are on VRBO tend to be the worst about that. I think oh, yeah. they don't have any repercussions. They'll just be like, oh, sorry, we booked it somewhere else. Or, oh, we let you book it at the wrong price, which happened to us over Thanksgiving or sure, whatever, you know, just happens. crappy things. But with Airbnb, you do that and cancel someone and, and you're not a super host anymore. Exactly. Like you have to pay for it. So it, it's the difference between 
a lot of our competition is grandma's beach house, right? It's just, the place has been sold with the same furniture in it four times. It's the same frumpy couches as the box television. They put it up on VRBO when they're not using it and they're trying to get somebody else to pay the taxes and they still want to use it there four weeks out of the year and hope to rent it out the rest of the time. And the people that originally bought it to put it on VRBO and make money with it, that didn't treat it like a business and operate at a high level, they get disenchanted with it. They turn it over to a traditional property manager here at the beach, which charge 20%. They manage 400 other properties. They don't care what your furniture looks like. They don't care what your property looks like. They've got a big book that you can flip through. They prefer you to go to their website and find a house from the cover photo and book it because then they make more money. You take that 20% out plus the horrible occupancy that you get from that type of management strategy and the profitability of the, the property goes away. When you start treating it like a business and you're trying to optimize performance on the property, you have to do things like be creative and come up with micro listings or go across multiple platforms to get it out there. And the second you do that, you have to have some level of management software in place to automate besides doing everything in real time and keeping and eliminating those double bookings, which will happen if you don't use a management software. It automates all your messaging, your cleaning, your scheduling, everything like that. It makes everything extremely easy. But you're right. There's a lot of people not doing it. And I love that because there's, the, I feel like the, the new adoption of early technology is in where I live in the Southeast is really slow. Like yeah. technology tends to go West Coast, East Coast, North to South. And we're in the Southeast, country, baby. <laughs> like there's, we're years behind. And that gives us a strategic technological advantage. Yeah. And plus the fact that we're in a positive, negative feedback review-based system. When I have 350 reviews, you can come next door with a better property and you're never going to catch up as long as we're operating. Yeah. And that's one of the things the software helps with as well is optimization of the platform. So what's the program? Okay. So we, we checked a lot of them out. We investigated quite a few of them and there's two that I liked. If I was in an area that had a lot of international travel, I like Guesty, G-U-E-S-T-Y. They're expensive, but they're really good about putting you across multiple international platforms. So if I was somewhere like, Orlando or Miami or Las Vegas anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that'd be a great example that they take a flat fee plus a per, uh, commission percentage. And it does change depending on where you are in the country. But the fact that they're putting you out there and increasing your bandwidth that theoretically would increase occupancy. If I was in a market with international travel and I was struggling with occupancy, that's probably the way I would go. Instead, we went with a software called your Porter. Y O U R P O R T E R. It's, I don't know what it's going to be later because I know it's going to go up, but it's seven mm -hmm. bucks a month per listing. So wow. right now we've got four, we got a quadplex under renovation, but we've got 11 listings right now. So we pay $77 a month and we jumped to using a software platform when we went to from one to four listings. And with those four and with where we are now, it is easier managing those software, those those listings with the software that we have in place that's automated versus the first one, our downstairs unit that we were doing manually. It makes it extremely easy, but it's also a better experience for the guests. Mm -hmm. So extremely, extremely important. Do you ever do any um, sort of reverse micro listings where you take your your duplex or quadplex and just offer it up for rental the whole thing? So we don't because I've got a four month old and it would be a nightmare trying to. So we've got a triplex that we arbitrage and it's three separate listings and we have had it listed that like that was our number one thing. Like we could charge a premium for three separate places and then we have a triplex, a quadplex and two duplexes and never once have we rented all the units to the same people at the same time. I don't know if that's a factor of because it's all smaller units that they tend to go pretty quick, but never once have we had multiple people rent multiple units within the same properties. And that was something that we really thought that we were going to get, like we offered a weekly discount and that was going to happen. And it just never did. I feel like, I mean, this is kind of like we have people that ask us that they want to stay in our casita for more than two weeks, which is, I mean, really no one wants to stay in there for more than two weeks because it's like a hotel room. There's no kitchen. There's it's it's a room and a bedroom. And mm -hmm. most people don't want to live in a hotel for more than a couple weeks. Even that can be too long. But people ask us, like, will you rent it out for 30, 60, 90 days? And, and we're just like, no, because you're not going to want to pay us the amount of money that yep. we make for that. And I would imagine that having each individual unit rent out at probably a little bit of a higher price 
sure. because you're doing the discount on the big one. It's probably the same, if not more money to Absolutely. just do the, the one offs. And so if you're not if you're yeah. not losing anything for not it's offering a, those, you know, for sure. It's the same reason why it's a winning strategy to take underperforming long term rental properties and convert them to short term rental is that what you would pay for a place for a year every time you break that interval smaller and smaller, it goes up, right? Like if you want to rent a place for three months, you're going to pay more than you would per month for a year. If you want to rent it for one month, you're going to pay even more. You break that down to a week or by the day. Like the our duplex that we bought, people were renting the each of the three, two for $1,100 a month. And now like May through September, we're doing between $7,500 and $8,500 a month in that one unit. And then they're, even in the dead of winter time, we're doing – between eighteen hundred and twenty eight hundred dollars a month, even yeah. in the worst months. So, like exactly, you break that down smaller and smaller. And on top of that, if you price it right, like in our units, I know that we have in, in all of our units we have fresh ground coffee beans and a coffee press, and you have things like paper towels and trash bags and toilet paper and, and things like that that people use up. So, on average, we spend five dollars and forty cents per booking on supplies to restock. And so what we do is that every, and we, also there's, you know, CapEx like light bulbs and, you know, eventually somebody's going to break a ceiling fan or something like that. And things like that happen, broken shower heads. So whatever we pay in cleaning fees, we ended up starting our own cleaning company to get a reduction in overhead. But like if the cleaning fee is a hundred dollars, we're paying 80. And so we're making an extra $14 and 60 cents after that restocking fee. Then that just builds up. And same thing, a lot of our properties are pet friendly and that's $50 per pet. And so that just goes into a fund that is used to sprucing up the property in the off season or things like that. So you, you build those margins in. And if you take on long-term guests like that, those margins go away. And so it's actually, if you set it up so that you make a little bit extra, every time you turn the property over, you're incentivized to turn it over more. And the other thing is like a lot of people around here will switch to doing long-term in the off season, we're a highly seasonal market. And so they bring somebody in for three or four months. It helps pay the bills. But in that same period of time, at the end of that four month period, I've got 25 to 30 more five star reviews than you do. Mm -hmm. And so you may were, maybe you were on page one and now you're halfway down page two and you're not going to be able to catch up. So there's mm -hmm. some of that that goes into it as well. Yeah. So before we move on to your, the arbitrage strategy, you're doing a couple of questions. One, are you doing any direct booking at all? Or are you only working through the online travel agencies? So we've, the, yes and no. We've had a few people that have, we've been doing it long enough now that people are calling back like, Hey, I stayed there six months ago or a year ago. I really want to come back. And like, we can work out a deal with them. We're in the process of trying to put together our own website and get that done. But frankly, like it just, it really, I like the protection that comes from working through the apps and the communication with the guests. So it's something that I know that we're going to need to tighten up within our business because I know even if it's 20% of your bookings, it can be 30 to 5% of your revenue if you do it the right way. So I know that that's something we need to work on right now. I don't think we're quite I'm just, I'm worried about growth right now. Like we've got our system in place and I want to scale, 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 and then sit back and tighten things up a little bit. Right now we've, we've created a market here. We've talked about this too much, frankly. And we use this to kind of, my wife quit her job in medical sales to go into real estate. And we use this meeting with the local RIA groups and like writing articles and putting it out what we're doing. Because number one, I believe in sharing information because it's going to, it just comes full circle. And this is something that really has the potential to change people's lives and the trajectory of how much time you spend at your job versus how much time you spend with your kids. Right. So that's important to me. And I also think that sharing that information, it, it draws other people to you that, and everybody knows something that I don't. So it puts us in a position to just get better at our strategy. Because of that, we've created a lot of competition for ourselves mm -hmm. and we've got people that were customers of Abby. Like eventually like we stopped selling properties and we're like, what are we doing, man? We're passing on some really, really good deals here. But even by then, like people were catching on. And so people that we're friends with, we're arguing about who's going to go after the next property. So for me right now, it's still growth. We're trying to double in the next six months and double again in six months after that. And at that point in time, I know there's going to be a lot that we have to go back in and tighten up. And that's one of those things. Have you ever thought about doing some co-hosting so you can, you know, help someone else? Yeah. Great question. So I brought, we brought on a partner. So right now we're partnered on several properties with another couple that they, and they have a triplex. Now they live in a two bed, two bath with two single family 
uh, or, or one bedroom, one bath units back behind of each of them do $35,000 a year minimum. So they're doing great. And then we're partnered on several deals together between those two things. I don't think that we're going to do any co-host to like, we have a lot of people that want to ask us to help them or do management with them. But like you guys are doing this podcast because you, like you want to create your own job in the terms of that you're living your life mm-hmm. and you don't want to be tied to one place. I'm doing the same thing. So what I believe in for our business is vertical integration. And what that means is that we start our own cleaning company. We own the cleaner. The cleaner only works on our listings. We control his business. And so we very much rely on each other. We have enough business now that we very much control the handyman. He does a ton of work on our business. I've got a partner who lives here, works here, and we can walk away. The idea is that we can walk away. And if we want to go somewhere else in the world and start another portfolio, we can do that. And then just jump back and forth to where we want to spend time minding our business as we go along. I don't want to be a property manager. I don't want to mm-hmm. create work for myself here. We want to create a lifestyle for ourselves that we can run from our phone. And it's it's heading in that direction. And sometimes to keep that long-term goal in mind, you have to know when to say no. Yeah. And I don't want to rely on other people. I want to be vertically integrated as much as possible and make sure that everybody that's involved is creating value and gaining value and getting something from it. But at the end of the day, I can do it from the Bahamas. Yeah. Gotcha. That's the dream. Yep. All right. So before we, like I said, before we move on to the arbitrage thing, I want to like really make sure we understand the numbers on that first short-term rental you bought. You bought it for 370. Yep. Uh, you put about 20 into it. Yep. Does that include rehab and furnishings? Yes, it does. It, rehab, furnishings, um, when you're buying two of everything. It's identical floor plan. So we got good deals by buying two of everything. But yeah, we we fixed it up. It was actually right around the time that we had a hurricane hit. So two years ago, Hurricane Florence came through and a little over two years ago. And right then, construction help was really, really hard to come by. Everybody was busy. And so because of that, we were forced to do a lot of things ourselves. And so, you know, wait, painting and instead of putting up a tile backsplash my wife cut out a stencil and painted a backsplash and then we scrounged around and got different help for putting in floors and for hanging ceiling fans and because of the lack of workforce we we got it done cheaper than we would have because otherwise i would have just stroked a check and been like yeah here's 35 40 grand like let's get this done time is money but because of that there was no one to help and so we were kind of forced to do it that way so yeah all in for 390 gotcha and then what sort of mortgage was a uh, investor, just a traditional 20% down kind of mortgage? So I was going to do 20% down. And at the time, it was a better investment to instead put 15% down, buy out the PMI, and then buy the points down on the note. Okay. This is a house that we figured we were going to keep for a long time. I yeah. didn't want PMI. So I was going to put 20% down. And my broker at the time was like, hey, look at these numbers. The break even is like 3.4 years. It actually makes more sense to do this to get the points down. In retrospect, I found ways now that I could have bought it and put it in a commercial note in our property management or our property holding company instead of cannibalizing my own personal borrowing power. But yeah, at the time, that was like we kind of were had to make a decision pretty quick. And that's the way that we went. Now you are... You, you you mentioned it briefly, but you are doing some what are, what's called uh, rental arbitrage now uh, yes. on just one property? A triplex and a duplex right now, and hopefully another one duplex coming up, but you can't count your chickens. But right now, just five arbitrage units. So talk to us about that strategy. How does that, how did you acquire them? How did you negotiate with the owner and things like that? Man, if you, this is a, great strategy, especially if you don't have very much money to get started. All you've really got to have is an education and knowledge. So the way that this one went down for us is that we bought our first property. We started operating. We did 57 in our downstairs and we went, okay, wow, this is working. We know how to do it now. Good enough. Always getting better, but knew well enough what we needed to do So how do we get another property, right? We're in a beach town, two blocks off the ocean. There's a very high barrier to entry in terms of purchase price, right? So we can't afford another listing. So how do we get another listing without having to purchase it? Again, like the the house that we are currently in, like people were paying $1,100 a month for each of the units. And we're doing 57 in one of them. We were like, man, there's a lot of margin there. We started looking around for other properties and trying to figure out how are we going to purchase this? How are we going to buy? We found a triplex on the north end of our island. It's two 
units that are two bedroom, two bath. It's an upstairs, downstairs duplex, and then a studio efficiency built back behind it, 16 by 20 feet. And so that was the one that we really fell in love with. We liked it. We thought it looked good. And um, it had been listed for a long time for 470 grand. And it, the listing expired twice. Horrible tenants in place, did not take care of the property. It was torn up. That's why it didn't sell. The guy was upside down. He bought the property in 2005. So the second time it expired, I got on, pulled up the address in the county records, got the name of the guy, spent $4.99 on whitepages.com to get his information and cold called him. He lives in Raleigh. Cold called him and we talked on the phone for 45 minutes to an hour the first time. The good thing about this strategy, like if you're going after arbitrage units, and it's somebody's property and they don't live there, that makes them a real estate investor. Real estate investors like talking about real estate and they like talking to other real estate investors. So you've already got common ground. So it was, it's an easy conversation to have. And long story short, we asked him if he was willing to spruce up the property. We thought we could offer him a lot of value in his property and that his property was not that it was overpriced. It was, but really it wasn't overpriced. It was underperforming. And that if he could convert that to a three or four X, the current rents that he was getting, he had a tremendous opportunity to add value in terms of rental history to his property. So what we offered him is I would rent the three units for the same going rate as the current units, current tenants, but I needed him to spruce it up, put some flooring in, put a window in, change some countertops, refinish some cabinets, things like that. And if he was willing to do that, then you know, we would lease the property. We would operate it as a short-term rental. He would get paid first every month. If we did a good enough job, we got to keep the excess. But besides the cash flow that he was getting and having better tenants in place that were taking care of his property and having professional cleaners in there every two or three days, I was also taking away his CapEx because now if a refrigerator breaks or a ceiling fan breaks or a toilet breaks, it's not his responsibility to fix it anymore. It's mine and I've got to do it before the next tenant gets in there. Right. So he can get rid of his property manager. I'll manage the property. I'll pay him first. I'll take away his CapEx. And at the end of our agreement, if he wants me to, I'll give him a rental report that shows what he's making in terms of rent that's vastly higher than what he was getting previously. So the real value of what he's getting is not cash flow or the equity that we're paying down. It's the forced appreciation from a high performing property. And so he agreed to that. And we pay him $36,000 a year for those three units and we do $125,000 a year in gross rents and we net right at around 58. That's awesome. Well, and he does get a little bit of extra cash flow if he's not pay- paying a management company and you're exactly. renting it for and the same as, amount. As long as he can realize that value, then you're exactly right. And the other thing is that we told him it would take some time to get it up and running. So we asked him to defer the rent for three months, which he did. And then we took a loan from some friends to buy the furniture for those three units And then by the end of month three, we had paid back the deferred rent and paid back all of the furniture and kept rolling from then. So for us, that deal cost $4.99 from whitepages.com. Wow. That's awesome. Love that story. So before we sort of wrapping up here, but talk to us a little bit about, you know, the differences between expenses for a long-term rental and a short-term rental. Like the the typical math, the rule of thumb is, you know, on a long-term rental, it's going to be about 50% of your total rent is going to go towards expenses, like uh, yep. not, including, not including the mortgage, uh, vacancy, CapEx, maintenance, property management. So sure. is, do you have a similar rule of thumb that you apply when you're analyzing a potential short-term rental? Uh, we do. Uh, it depends on the type of units and what all needs to be done to the units. And we look at you know, what needs to be done to the unit itself in terms of fixing it up. And then in terms of you have to factor in staging costs, too, because a lot of times in year one, that staging cost can cannibalize a lot of your cash flow as well. And we're typically looking at we try to do some people like look at marketplace and get furniture from different places for us. We typically we use a lot of Wayfair, Amazon, Ikea and stuff like that. We're just going for nice, crisp, clean lines and a few like wow features. And it's going to cost us around four grand to stage a one bedroom, one bath. Add on another five hundred dollars for front porch furniture or back porch furniture. So if there's front and back, you're looking at five thousand. And then add on about another thousand dollars per bedroom after that. So a three bedroom unit is going to cost us around sixty five hundred dollars with a front porch. So we know what kind of money has to go in there, right? So that comes into play in year one. And typically, what we do is we're looking at the benchmark for us is the median performance of the property. So we run an air DNA analysis, but we also know that in our market, we can have a 10 to 15% standard deviation, whether you run that analysis at the peak or at the end of high season. 
versus the dead low or towards the end of low of low season, right? So where we are in the market cycle is going to factor in what that median's performance is in terms of how much standard deviation we take off of that projection. And then we can look at the type of units that they are, know if our occupancy is going to be higher or significantly higher than what's going on in the market. So we get a real good idea of where we should land. But that metric, that baseline benchmark metric is always what we use to determine, okay, if we're just a median performer in the market, allowing for this standard deviation margin of error, we need to make at least $1,000 a month profit per unit over a yearly average, right? So if it's a triplex, we need to make three grand a month profit after all other expenses. And we've got our cleaning and our overhead down to about 25% by being vertically integrated, but we still run the margin of whatever our gross rents is, we're going to spend at least 30% of that on cleaning fees and Airbnb fees. So I take with the standard deviation in play, the gross rent Lazar analysis on the property minus that 30% minus utilities and then put in 10% CapEx, even though a lot of that is built into the cleaning fee, so we get some of that. I feel like if you're really conservative on the way you run your numbers, you're setting yourself up for good surprises instead of bad ones. So it varies a little bit depending on the property and where we are on the island. But yeah, that's the basic formula that we do, the back of the napkin calculation real quick to decide, is this something that we want to go after? Is it worth it? And that's, yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. So what frustrates you most about uh, being a short-term rental operator owner? So originally it was like, you'd get, it was probably reviews starting out. You know, you get a five for value, a five for cleanliness, a five for communication, and then a four overall. You're like, come on, man. Like, what's that about? But you know, what I've learned over time, you care so much when you have 10 or 15 or 20 reviews, like that's your bread and butter. Like we're trying to make a business out of this. You're killing me. And then over time you just realize like that just goes away. By the time you've got 160, 170 reviews that some of that is going to happen. And the issue there, uh, the frustrations have changed along the way. At first it was communication. And then when we have an automated software that constantly sends check-in, check-out instructions, welcome messages, thank you messages, and everything is built in, that gets easier and easier over time. It's a learning algorithm. So people ask a question, you type a detailed answer, it auto-populates, even if they're asking about a barbecue restaurant or something like that. So that gets easier and easier over time. I was talking to Abby. It's really like the listings that we currently have up and running we just don't really think about them anymore unless there's a significant issue. So for now, my frustration is, okay, scalability, right? So like we tried to build when we had our first four units, we tried to build that. What's this going to look like when we have 40 units? Because that's where we want this to go. So it's just trying to anticipate those problems that you're going to have and deal with those frustrations before they get there. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. And, and you know, it can be frustrating when you got it wrong and you have to go back and fix things. But at this point in the market, it's competition is frustrating and, um, and trying to kind of figure out where everything is headed as a market regulation can be challenging. I think we're in a great spot for that because we're on a tiny Island. 80% of the economy here is people have been doing secondhand rentals for forever. So that's always changing. But, um, yeah, it's, it depends on what day you ask me is what I'm is most <laughs> frustrated. But I will say that like at the end of the day, we're very grateful because we do everything from our phone in 15 to 20 minutes a day. And we, when we were, we've got a four month old, when we were six months pregnant, we went to the Bahamas for a week and we spent five grand on the trip. And when we came back, we'd made more money than we spent. And that was one of those moments that I was like, man, I, we've got a lot to be grateful for. That's awesome. So last question for me, what do you think is the, the really key piece of knowledge that you had to learn that has made you successful as a short-term rental operator? Oh man, that's a good question. I could go a lot of different directions there, but in the sake of time, like the number one thing is like when you get into short-term rentals, you're leaving the real estate space per se. You're, you're going into the people business, right? And this is, this is about people that are trying to spend their time on vacation to go to a place that they're going to enjoy. So you want to give people a place to stay and you also want to give them an experience. But the long and short of it is you want your property to be an experience for that. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to the way that you communicate with them, how pleasant you are and polite you are and your ability to give them what they need so they can enjoy their time with their family 
and and get the most out of the time that they have off from their job. So the real thing is like, and I would say more real estate, it's life in general. It's like, we're in the people business. So whether you're selling real estate or, I mean, I sell pacemakers to people that are unconscious on a surgery table, but at the end of the day, it's how you treat them and you follow up with their family and the way that they get, you know, the care that they need, no matter what you do, we're all in the people business. And when we got into short-term rentals and you're dealing with different people every day, constantly coming in, that's something that you have to learn really, really quickly. It's it's hospitality. Absolutely. (laughs) It's like having a hotel. It's just on a small, a smaller scale and you can, it can be a little bit more personalized, but the same concepts apply and it's still those experiences, those little things make a difference when you have a really fluffy robe in a hotel room or whatever, you know, those tiny things can be, a huge factor. And a lot of that just comes down to knowing what people want and, and being able to give that to them. So could not agree more. Well, Clint, you have, you've told me that you are working on a book about short-term rentals. Do we, yes. do we have a title? <laughs> do you have a, I don't even put you on the spot. When's it coming out? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> right, right, uh, we were right. moving right along and then had a baby. So yeah, funny how that yeah. works. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're really close. Uh, we don't have a title yet, but the, thing that I think is important that I think would have helped me is that we're taking a very straightforward case study approach. So it's a book that I'm, I've got, I've written a lot of it. My wife has several sections in the book as well, because I think it's really important to see both sides of the relationship and how we work together. We're best friends and we work together as well. And, and I look at things as uh, entrepreneurial, let's grow this, let's go. And then a lot of times she gets stuck with the, the details of how are we going to make this work and how am I going to stage this on this budget? And I think it's really important to, for those two sides of the coin to come together. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is that we wanted to take the data that we learned about our market and show how we applied it in our market. So we've got, 10 case studies of deals that we're currently working on. And the last one that's going to be a part of it is the quadplex that we're under renovation with. Now we took money from our arbitrage deals and then we purchased a $485,000 quadplex that we closed on at the end of November. That's currently in renovation. We'll be finishing that up in February. So those final numbers are going to come through. And I think it's going to be a really compelling case study. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of one of those lessons of sometimes this is just as hard if you're biting off a small project. So as a big project. So if you know, you know, you've learned all those hard lessons along the way and you know what you want to accomplish, take the biggest bite that you can. And we want to take the opportunity to just break down the numbers exactly of how we did everything that we did, because it's not that special. And, and you may not can do it in every town, but you can do it somewhere in every state. And there's something that will apply. So the number one thing that we're waiting for is not the content. It's, it's the numbers, because I think the real life scenarios the nuts and bolts are what really meant the most to me when I was looking for data and the opportunity to use other people's past performance to dictate our future success. And that's what I want to do. So we want to put the good and the bad in there so that other people can use that as a springboard and hopefully do better than we did. And I'd probably say three to six months is hopefully when we'll be coming out with that. Awesome. Sure. Have a book, baby. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> right around the time that your kiddos won. Yeah. That's right. Um, I have one last question. I'm just curious if you have any sort of you're you're a dad now. And you've just gotten a small taste of of being a working dad and and having a family. But do you have any advice that you would give to someone that's looking to sort of get into this niche, but is kind of like us, full time jobs, family? Any hints or tips that you haven't talked about? So my number one thing is that I, I've got a four-month-old, and he's amazing, but he's not really going to remember what we're doing right now. Uh, luckily, we got started with this before he came along, before we found out we were pregnant. I probably wouldn't have bought this duplex and live in a little small beach house if we knew we were going to have a baby. But the work that we're putting in now is so that when he's – four, five, six years old, I'm working my job because I want to work my job. I love my job. I really enjoy it. And I don't think there's many people that get to say that, but there's going to be a day when I decide that I would rather spend time going fishing or scuba diving or surfing with him mm-hmm. than that. And so that's what I'm working for right now. And I, I would say that in terms of this strategy, it's a lot of work up front. 90 to 95% of the work is getting the deal done, getting the listings done, getting it up and running. But after that, every person booking one of these properties has a smartphone in their pocket. And you can leverage that technology to automate and streamline everything from your messaging to your cleaning, 
all of it. So if you're willing to put in that work up front, you can manage this on the back end for just a few minutes a day. And that is why we're putting the work in up front right now, because I've got a son and there's going to be a day that I would rather spend time with him than doing anything else. And this is a strategy that allows you to do that and where you don't have to spend a large percent of, of your profit margin on a manager to do it for you mm-hmm. just to be let down one day when they don't mind your business the way that you would mind your business. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Clint, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I, I, I enjoyed this even more than I thought I would. Uh, <laughs> if people, uh, if people want to reach out to you and, and find out what you're more about, where uh, where should they go? Well, the best place is just on Facebook, Clint Harris in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. We, our hosting company at Carolina Beach is Salt and Soul Hosting. And then my wife is uh, now an agent with Coldwell Banker here in uh, Carolina Beach, Wilmington as well. And we are always happy to connect with anybody. We're on most of the big podcasts and websites and we go to local RIA meetings as well. And we're just kind of nerds for this stuff. It's what we do mm-hmm. for fun. Awesome. Well, thanks again. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Bye. Okay. Well, that was Clint Harris from Carolina Beach, North Carolina, short-term rental operator. I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was one of yeah. my favorite. I, of course, that was fun. I, I think I say this almost every time. That was one of my favorite. It's true. It's, it's true. true. We but do I, say it a lot. And it's, it's just always a different and fun conversation. Mm-hmm. So we like people. We do like helps. people. And I especially like, and, real, I like real estate people. Yeah. So. Yeah. So our people yes okay well let's uh talk about the interview what was a key lesson for you for me it was really about i love the and i talked about this i love the way he went about analyzing the market that they were going to go into they really they used air dna to look at the numbers but they also went into the reviews and they looked into what were the best performers doing because that short-term rental investing it's a very competitive market and you are much more dealing with, you're competing with other operators and you want to find out what the people are doing that are being really successful at it and really, and try and, uh, try and emulate that. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's especially competitive in those markets that are really like niche vacation home yeah. um, areas. And I think that just kind of goes into his systems and those kinds of things. We've talked about this before. It's really important to have a system. He's very systematic with how he looks at deals and, and finds deals and, and then, you know, makes them work. And then as well as trying to take him out of the, of the, the super, you know, detailed management side, obviously he's still really working, you know, he's still minding his business, but not in, he's not working in his business. So my key lesson I think is just how he's scaling, I think is, is interesting. He's really looking at, you know, how can I make this scalable in a way that I make, you know, the most money and that is the most efficient. And he's doing that by creating, you know, in-house operating things like uh, the cleaning. And then he said something else that Cleaning. Oh, and he's this handyman's almost exclusively with him. So he's really creating sort of a small management company and using that to his advantage in order to scale faster and better. Um, So I think that's really important. All right. And what was the, you recall what the key piece of knowledge uh, that he needed to, to, to get before he got started? Not re not really. I mean, you, you tell me, do you know? (laughs) no i don't think he really just sort of like fell into it a little bit and then learned what he he did i think really what he used rather than i mean he read books and things like that but he really used the mentorship piece initially and you know he said that that wasn't necessarily perfect Mm -hmm. but it was it's still useful for him someone that knew a little bit more to him than him and he was able to go a little bit quicker and easier Kind of. So I think that that's really the knowledge that that he the knowledge piece for him gotcha. money. So we're talking about money in the short term mm-hmm. um, market. Yep. You wrote down those numbers. Yes. You- they bought the property they bought. They were all in for three hundred and ninety thousand. So and they came to the table with 15 um, percent, he said. So about sixty thousand dollars. And then they also, he said, you know, they, they needed an average of, let's say four to $5,000 for 
a one bedroom and then an additional thousand dollars per bedroom to basically set up a rental. Yeah. So I would I would say sixty thousand sixty thousand dollars. Okay. All right. And then time. So he has a full time job that yep. he enjoys working in. Upkeep. It sounds like. 15, 20 minutes a day that he can spend to run what he has. It sounds like, you know, in chunks of time, he's probably spending some weeks where he's maybe working a lot of hours um, Mm -hmm. setting one up. But he's also, both him and his wife are kind of sharing some of that time. So I feel like early on, it might be a a good chunk of like extra hours a day. Mm -hmm. But once you have it set up, it's, it's really not much. I mean, it's the same thing that we've sort of experienced it's five minutes a day or less on most days Mm -hmm. and then if someone needs something or we get a lot of booking at the same time or whatever it might go up to 20 minutes maybe setting it up setting up the systems takes time but even then like once you get it up and running it's it's very in my experience it's been you know we probably spend 30 minutes a week. A week, yeah. It, it's it's not a lot. And there's so many options now as far as management programs yeah. and systems. He, he mentioned a couple and then, you know, there's other ones that we've mentioned in previous episodes. If you go back and look at any of the short-term rental episodes that make it easier and safer and better and all of the things when you're doing a short-term rental. So it behooves yep. you to put out that small amount of money for those in the scheme of things unless and until you unless you create your own like he has you know we use a a program for our cleaning scheduling and stuff Mm -hmm. but he's not having to do that because he's created the cleaning company although he might still use something automated we never never asked him next time yep (laughs) um all right and i think we very like definitively answered our our next uh pillar which is can they do this from anywhere in the world yes yes they can <laughs> yeah, once you get those systems up and running um you got i mean you're gonna have to have some kind of boots on the grounds but it's typically that that's gonna be the cleaning people and if you've got yeah. that squared away it's usually it's somewhere something you could do from yeah. anywhere in the world that in so. a maybe one backup actual person yep (laughs) or and that might be your cleaning person i think for us if we really needed something like that i could probably ask our cleaner like our long-term cleaner that we really like and say hey we need someone to do xyz for us while we're out of the country are you up for that and pay her more and that would probably work out really well yep Okay. Once again, that was Clint Harris from Salt and Soul in Carolina Beach. Look them up. He's on Facebook. If you search for Clint Harris in Wilmington, North Carolina, that was a great interview. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Let's hit the road. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.